This is Intersection, I'm Matthew Petty. Last week, an article in the Washington Post shone a spotlight on an Osceola County motel where residents are staying with no water or power. It's not the first time reporters have told the story of the Star Motel or others like it, but now many of those residents are being moved into safer, cleaner accommodation. But that's just a temporary fix. Well, Barbie Austria is the founder of Kissimmee Point Sienna Homeless Outreach. Barbie, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. So there's been a little bit more scrutiny or a little bit more attention being paid to the folks at the Star Motel um, in the last few days because of an article that was published in the Washington Post. Uh, For folks who maybe aren't so familiar with the story and haven't been following the reporting from um, other outlets, including WMFE, over the summer, just tell us what's going on there. Essentially, it's a, a motel that was abandoned by the owner, but there are still folks living there without utilities. What's the situation like? Uh, we well first. Uh, well, I've been in that motel. I've been. I have been serving at that motel. Uh, back, started back in 2015. Um, that was an opportunity for my outreach to actually. I was. I would do Christmas functions and Thanksgiving. It was a way of us uh, connecting with children. Uh, you know, trying to get to the bottom of why they're here and how we can help. Um, also, there there are dangers in these motels. We have sex trafficking as well. Um, uh, prostitution prostitution and also uh, drug use. So it, it was a way for us to, uh, the food was actually a bonus. It's just us getting to know the families and trying to help them, uh, you know, to better their lives, to encourage them with job, you know, job resources and, and um, help to relocate them from motel into housing or apartments. And so um, back in 2015, what was the situation like there? There was still an owner or, the, you know, there was still somebody kind of taking care of utilities and, and water and the, the, the like? No, the owner was present. So when did things change? I have many relationships with uh, motels on the stretch. The reason why, um, because, uh, you know, those motels are, are filled with homeless families. Uh-huh. And, and I would, uh, normally my outreach, well, we also do weekly food drops. Uh, to several motels, uh, you know, that's continuous. And then we'll do the events, but it's a way uh, of us reaching the parents and the children. Mm -hmm. And so just kind of back to the Star Motel, because that, you know, that that is the one, I guess, that's getting the most attention. What's happening there now? Are there still people living there? Or, you know, you've been working to move people into a slightly better situation. So what's been going on? I started moving uh, families and individuals in June, and it's continuous. Uh, yesterday, however, uh, I had the other agencies that came out, and you know we uh, just coordinated and we removed all the uh, families with children yesterday. Okay, and yesterday being Sunday, and so w- which agencies okay. were you working with? Uh, the Hope Community Center and uh, um, Mr. Frank Wells from Central Florida Regional Housing Trust. Mm-hmm. He was out there as well, and, um, you know, there were a couple other individuals who are not licensed as yet, but they're, they're also in the same, they have the same focus as I do. And so, and so where have the folks, where, where have they gone? Like, have, have they been moved to other motels, or what, what's the situation yes, they now? Have, yeah, they're in other motels. Um, well, they're, they'll, they'll be in motels until the Department of Housing and the Hope Community Center. Uh, this is the... They'll be there until there's opportunities for them to get into apartments or into a home. Mm-hmm. So from, you know, the, the work that you've been doing over the last five years or so, Barbie, what's the, what's the outlook like then? Does it, does it look hopeful it look that, 
they'll be able to get into something a little more permanent anytime soon? Yes, with the help that came in yesterday, yes. Are there still folks in the in the Star Motel, or you know, there's still some folks staying behind? Yes, yes. We're um, what happened last night. Uh, it was late. I returned home at eight p.m. It was getting dark, and we were running out of motels. So we're going to regroup today and start again, first with the elderly and then with the other residents as well. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I guess the Star Motel, it sounds like it's in pretty bad shape, but to your point, it's just one of many places where there are people who are in pretty dire circumstances and this is their only option, yes. right? Yes. Can you talk a little bit more about the sort of the broader problem then? What, why is it that, um, you know, we, we find there are, so many uh, places like the Star Motel in Osceola County and Kissimmee where, where people just, that's, that's all they've got. Well, we, we, start, we, we have to go back all the way to like 2008, 2009 when we went into the recession, when families lost their homes and they ended up in the motels, when we had the foreclosure boom and, and families ended up there. I've also, I work with families that are still here from Hurricane Katrina I'm working with uh, families that came here from Puerto Rico, Hurricane Maria. Uh, we also have, uh, then the COVID came along, and job losses. So we have a mix of, and then we have families that, with children that have disabilities. Uh, we have some families that are, that are disabled. They're in fixed income. The lack of affordable housing. And all of Central Florida is in some sort of housing crisis, right? I mean, it's not just Osceola yes. County, although that is one of the, yes. the the most afflicted. And it sounds like you've been working at this for a while through your uh, nonprofit, but does it feel like a bit of an uphill struggle, Barbie? Oh, my goodness, yes. It's been such a struggle. It's been such a struggle to get our leaders uh, to support us. Um, when I'm talking about support, I'm talking about coming up with a plan, like the plan we had yesterday, just move in there and just start removing everyone. Um, also financially, I mean, like, I'm, I'm tired of being told that there is no funding, there is no money to help with what I'm, you know, our work. Um, we are very efficient. It's just a lack of funding. And how are you, like, where's the money coming from for this round of, of um, uh, you know, getting people into something a little more salubrious or a little more secure right now like is, is that just coming out of your own pocket well no the ones i moved started from june until um last week was from my my pocket but the ones from yesterday uh it's from the hope community and from the housing you know the department of housing mm-hmm. and is it just that there's a little more attention being paid to this so that's kind of um i don't know shaking the trees a wee bit and and gotten folks well, to pay attention. I was there, right? I was there Saturday, and I've been there. Oh gosh, hundreds of times. And I decided uh, to do. Uh, I actually grabbed my notepad, and I, I decided to do go room to room. And um, I found a room uh, that had a disabled mom, and she has five children. There were three. Uh, three of her children were um, teenagers, and she had two younger children. Um, the room was totally uh, disgusting. They have no water, no electricity, as we talked about it before. Um, she could barely walk. Their monthly income, uh, she has a severely disabled daughter. Their monthly income is 1400 uh, After chatting with her, she heard about me, but, you know, she's on the second floor, and she really can't use the stairs, so she was stuck up there. 
Um, so I promised her there would be some help. Um, she also, we had a conversation. She's, she's a really sweet person. Uh, she told me, she said, all I could afford in rent monthly is 750 for us to survive, which was her monthly income is 1400 So I went home and I started making phone calls and send out texts. And I'm like, listen, this is urgent. We need to get these families out now. So uh, I was surprised. Uh, one of the gentlemen I texted, uh, he, uh, he, he actually got the ball rolling, make, made phone calls and said, okay, they asked me, what time can you meet us uh, at the motel? I said, 1.30. That was yesterday. So we, uh, we all met at the motel and we started, uh, we have to do an intake form. So the intake forms were filled out. Uh, the problem was finding motels that will take uh, families from the star. Uh, most, the surrounding motels really don't want families from the star because they figure they're troubled people. So the place has a bit of a bad reputation? Bad rap, yes. Mm. So, it, it, you know, we, I was up and down that trip yesterday because I drive a truck, so I was moving people as fast as I can. We were rejected some of the motels. Some of them do take, did take a few families. So it's, it's an uphill battle. Mm. Um, even if you do, you know, move all the families out now, does it seem like people are just going to move back in at some point? Well, what I did, that's the reason why I went from room to room. I actually uh, wrote the numbers down, uh, if they were empty or if they were occupied, um, how many people were in the rooms. We signed everyone up yesterday. So anything after the move today, they're just squatters. And uh, I, that's where I think the county should step in and just start boarding up the rooms. What else do you want the county to do? Like, what are you asking for from leaders right now? Aside from, you know, the, the bigger question of there needs to be more funding for affordable housing and for shelters and the like in Osceola County, like, what do you want the, the leaders in Osceola County to do right now? We, well, I, this has been my fight, but like I said, no one listened. Uh, tra- we need transitional housing. And when I said transitional housing, I'm talking about uh, you know, uh, job searches. We're talking about uh, education. We're talking about daycare for the children. Um, give the families a place to live. Uh, three months test trial. Uh, if, if it needs to be extended, depending on the family, uh, yes. But we need to uh, rehabilitate these folks and let them be a part of society for them to get back to work. Be responsible parents. Because I'm not going to lie to you, the, the folks that are there... They also need a wake-up call. They need, they, they need uh, you know, counseling. They need help. We also have addiction problem there. Mm. Um, this is not a great time to be looking for jobs, though, is it? I mean, realistically. Well, we do have uh, some companies in our area that's hiring. Like, we have uh, McLean's. It's a, it's a warehouse that um, it's actually a distribution center that supplies all the supermarkets. Mm-hmm. So they have uh, immediate openings. Uh, the problem is that they have to do a background check. They have to do drug testing. Uh, a lot of these folks either have no credit, bad credit, or they have been convicted of a crime before, or they may not pass the drug test. So we're looking at so many different, you know, um, areas where they, 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 and that's the reason why they're stuck at the star because they'll never be qualified to rent a home or an apartment. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Barbie, Austria, that you're going to just keep keep doing what you've been doing for the you know the last few years. Like, is there a point at which you're going to say I can't do any more, or are you just going to keep helping as long as you can? 
I will keep going until the day I die. That's my plan. Wow. And is there been a little more interest in your nonprofit as well, you know, since that article came out in the uh, Washington Post last week and, and other subsequent reporting around this? Yes. And I'm very grateful to Greg uh, from the Washington Post. Uh, he has shed light internationally, not just locally. Um, and we are getting some positive feedback. Um, like I said, uh, I don't know where to begin right now, but I know uh, we have no shelters. We have never had shelters in Osceola County, and I don't think shelters will solve the problem. I think like a victory village or, uh, you know, transitional homes. When I say transitional, it's not just warehousing people. I'm talking about full staff. I'm talking about rehabilitation, uh, like I said, child care, uh, job searches, uh, signing back up to a community uh, college or whatever it takes to get these individuals back on their feet. Mm-hmm. What does the rest of this week look like for you? You're going to be pretty busy? Oh, yes. Uh, after you, I'm heading out to the motel again because we have to start regrouping and getting the other families out. Mm-hmm. Well, Barbie Austria is the founder of the Kitsimi Poinciana Homeless Outreach. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Barbie. You're welcome, and thank you for having me this morning. And that interview with Barbie Austria was recorded on Monday. Still to come, we'll talk more about the need for affordable housing in Osceola County and what some housing solutions might look like and cost. We're back in a minute. This is Intersection, I'm Matthew Petty. Among those helping to move families out of the Star Motel in Osceola County, where residents have been living without power and water, is Reverend Mary Lee Downey and staff from her Community Hope Centre. I talked to Downey about how the pandemic is amplifying the county's housing crisis. Reverend Mary Lee Downey, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Okay, so there's clearly quite a bit of scrutiny on homelessness in Osceola County right now, just because um, most recently of the article that was published in the Washington Post last week, uh, focusing on one particular motel, the Star Motel, and the residents there who've been, I guess, kind of struggling to get by without electricity and running water for some time now. Um, What's the involvement of uh, your organization in that to this point in time? So we've actually been working with the Star Motel as an organization since about 2012. This was one of our first outreach events. So we have been aware that there have been families living in the Star Motel for many years, uh, many different families. Families have come and gone, worked through different programs, found employment and found housing. But in the last um, six months or so, about maybe a little bit longer than that now, in October of last year, uh, the property just continued to be in disarray. And there was a lot of confusion about whether or not the utilities were being paid or not, um, if people, their rents were being utilized in the proper way. And um, we started seeing more and more families just struggling to get by there. And as just the weeks and months have gone on, it just continues to deteriorate. And um, we have been working with families there. Our, our main goal as an organization, as we've shared before, is to help people move from hotels into permitted housing where they can have more stability. And we had already been working with about eight of the families there. Um, As we've discussed before, it's very hard to move people from hotels to homes because we have such a low inventory of affordable housing units in our community. And so it just takes time to find those units and to have them come open. But um, probably within the last, you know, few months, 
as the pandemic has continued to just ravage our community, that hotel has just continued to to just just get worse and worse. And so uh, where we are now is we partnered with the county and some other nonprofits over the weekend to see if we could move as many families as we could out of that space and into other hotels, which is never our priority, not something that any of us wants to do because it's, it's, it's temporary. It's just a temporary fix that that doesn't help anybody in the long term. And there's no way that we could allow families to continue to live in those types of conditions. Um, mm-hmm. It's just completely unacceptable. So are there still going to be people living in the Star Motel once you've found some at least temporary accommodation for them in the meantime? Like, are there some people who don't want to move or, or can't move or more people who may come in and set up their residence there? The short answer to that is yes. Uh, there are people who uh, are afraid to move because they're afraid they're going to lose their belongings. There are people who are uh, not prepared to go to a different space. Um, and then I do anticipate that there will be people who squat in the meantime. And so um, it's it's very important that we think about how we can in the future hold hoteliers responsible when they abandon their properties. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that is a part of the story that no one is really discussing and talking about, but it's a, it's a huge part of the, the problem in the sense that um, these families didn't deserve to be abandoned like this. And, um, and so we're all doing the best we can with the resources that we have available to us. Has anybody been able to talk to the person who owns this particular property in, in the last month or so? I believe there are people who have had conversations. I know that, um, that, that, that there are folks and, and I think, I think in a lot of ways, like we have situations where I think the owner probably didn't know what to do either. I have not talked with them. I will say that. And I will say mm-hmm. that my priority has been the people who are living there. You know, you've been working with the folks there since 2012. Is it just because of the recession and the pandemic that things have seemed to have gotten taken a turn for the worse in the last few months? Or was this inevitable, do you think? Well, I want to be clear that we haven't been working with the same individuals at the hotel since 2012. Um, but it has mm-hmm. been a hotel that has had extended stay options. So we've worked with many, many different families and individuals, unique families over the years. I do believe that it has gotten worse because of the economy. I think a lot of people were already kind of struggling before the pandemic hit. And I, I do believe that the, the way that I've been trying to describe it is that we have been placing a lot of band-aids on a lot of issues for a long time. And what the pandemic has done is ripped those band-aids off and now we are gushing. And so we have got to stop the bleeding again. And so that's where we are right now. We're working to stop the bleeding uh, and helping our community survive. This obviously is not the only uh, extended stay motel. Um, I don't know if there are others in Osceola County which are as in as bad shape or where the families are suffering as much. But um, are there other places too that you're looking at and saying this could be the next star motel? I think that any time you have families living unstable, you're looking at that possibility. I think that we have relied on the hotels for far too long to be our affordable housing option in our community. Um, And and when I say affordable, I mean people who are making far less than what we talk about when we talk about tax credit affordable housing deals. I mean, we are talking about people who need rent at a 500 to 750 type of rent. They need 
um, assistance to get out. They are, there's a lot of struggle there. And so you've got people in different categories and people who are at different income levels, but then you also have a pandemic. And so you have a lot of people who were doing okay and, and now they're not. Um, I do believe that the corridor 192 is going to be the area in our state that's going to take the longest to recover. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing probably um, some folks who are still recovering from other crises and, and are having trouble from, you know, previous, you know, situations which put them in this in this position, right? Yeah, I mean, what I keep telling people is that many people were already experiencing trauma. And then when you add the pandemic, that's an additional trauma. So you also have the mental state of, of people and how they're dealing with things when it comes to just mental capacity of trauma upon trauma. And so that is something that we're also paying close attention to. Mm -hmm. I did talk to Barbie Austria, who I believe you've worked with as well, and she's been working to help some of these families and move them into accommodation that is safer and cleaner. And the comment that she made was that Osceola County really has a problem in that there's there's just not enough affordable housing. And I know that you and I have talked about that before, but also there's no shelter. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. I mean, would it help to have some kind of uh, shelter similar to what there are in other counties or are there places that people can go in an emergency or is it Osceola County really, uh, really lacking anything of that kind of emergency shelter? I think there's a lot of confusion around shelter and what has happened in the last few years when it comes to the federal HUD regulations around shelter. And so I think that people who don't, don't often know about those types of things, sometimes they think the automatic solution is shelter. I think there are, there is definitely a space where we need shelter in our community. I also know that it's something that is not heavily funded anymore by HUD guidelines. And so it's a struggle to, to talk about, and this is my personal struggle. I will say my personal struggle, I'll speak for myself. It's a struggle to spend $7 million on shelter. And then when I need that money to also build housing. And so when resources are limited, when it, when it came to our organization, we wanted to focus on housing. That doesn't mean that we don't think that shelter is needed. It's just that shelter is a very, very expensive endeavor. And so if resources are already limited, I want to focus on the thing that gets people long-term sustainability as opposed, to a, as opposed to a temporary situation. And yet, a shelter would have been, could have been really helpful to us in this situation, or it could have already been filled with other folks, mm -hmm. because the folks living at the Star Motel are not the only folks the Community Hope Center and folks like Barbie are working with. There are hundreds of people in our community who are in just as bad a shape uh, in, in their cars, in other hotels that are not particularly safe, uh, doubled up with family and friends. There are very, very many instances of homelessness that's occurring right now. And so, Although I agree that shelter is necessary, I don't know that it would have been our, our full-on solution either here. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, affordable housing complex that, that the Community Hope Center was involved in building, you told me last time we spoke that that, was, that had been delayed because of uh, you know the, the downturn and the pandemic-related issues. Um, what do you think 
could happen in the near future, say next six months to a year that could help out some of the people who are most in need here, who who really need some form of uh, permanent housing that's that they're able to pay for or they're, they're able to afford? So what we've been exploring since the pandemic, and it's mentioned in the Post article, is the idea that we would look at rehabbing some hotels along the corridor as the hotels continue to struggle uh, because the economy is so bad and tourism and hospitality is is not a priority right now because of the pandemic for a lot of people, uh, that's a direct hit to our economy. And so we we are already seeing some hotels thinking about selling their property and, and going a different way financially. And so we've been exploring what it would look like to rehab some of those properties into some both temporary shelter options, so trying to fit that gap, but also uh, doing some some redesigning of the, the, the complexes to make them into a for very low income affordable rentals. Um, obviously, the struggle with this is that uh, the cost to do that is in the millions. I mean, hoteliers are wanting anywhere from four to seven million dollars for their properties. Um, and then you have about a million to a million and a half worth of uh, remodel fees to make it livable for apartment dwellings, um, as well as, as you know, um, any other fees that may be occurred, like impact fees and things of those things, those that kind of happen when you go into construction. And mm -hmm. so, again, we're kind of looking down at that seven to $10 million mark. And so... All of it costs money. I mean, I know that just, it feels like I'm just a nonprofit leader who's over here saying like, we need money, but it's really honestly the truth. Like we, we need to be able to prioritize the amount of money it's going to take to build sustainable housing in our community in all types of ways. Um, this is an idea that we have. Our new build construction is also an idea that we would love to continue to expand. Um, we would love for other people to step into the gap as well other, you know, developers who are passionate, but th the reality is, and what we know is that affordable housing isn't profitable. Mm -hmm. And so we have to find a way to incentivize people and to help people make this a priority. Has this been done anywhere else? Do you know, have, have other communities, uh, you know, taken hotels that may, or motels that may need rehabbing, or even just adapting an existing motel that, that the owner is trying to sell and turned it into affordable housing? Yes. Um, it has. There's some couple of folks out of California who've done this work. Uh, there's also some work, I uh, just recently saw one from Branson, Missouri, which was kind of surprising to me. But there are other communities who have explored this and are doing this option as well. Um, it's, it's a viable option. And that 7 to $10 million uh price tag you quoted that would be for one one set of units right correct and we are in a deficit of about seventy-seven thousand units in central florida the last time i talked with a realtor about this and it's been a few months they said we were at 99 percent capacity for units in our community that's all mm -hmm. units not just low income that's all units across the board because before the pandemic, we had about 1,500 people moving into Central Florida, and a lot of them were moving into Osceola County. And so we, we were already here. We were already at this place. And, and yet we, we still haven't figured out how we all can make it a priority. 
Is there any indication that uh, county government or federal government may be able to step in and help out with some of this funding that's needed? So the Osceola County has had uh, a hand and has been supporting the work of the Star Motel since the very beginning. They've been partnering alongside us and other nonprofits. I want to make it clear there are other really great nonprofits who have been doing amazing work as well alongside the county. And and so I, I do think that the county is looking at exploring all the options that they have in front of them. And I am hoping that, that there are options. As for federal government, I, I couldn't answer that for you. I know, and I think I showed this last time that when the HEROES Act was introduced in the House and it focused on hunger and homelessness, there were some folks in the Senate who said that those were pet projects. And so I, I sometimes wonder where the cavalry is and if they're going to come. And I don't know that they are. Right. And, and when you hear it described as a pet project, that is clearly kind of upside down, right? Because this is pretty critical to a lot of people. It's absolutely critical to what's happening in my backyard and the, and the people that I, I see. I don't know that everybody sees what we see. And I think that, that that could be part of the issue is that the Washington Post brought some awareness to what was happening, but this is not the first time that we've had a spot on the national stage. Uh, there is, you know, the Florida project. There was a there was a Washington Post article about five months ago, right at the beginning of the pandemic, that was heartbreaking about another one of our families that we've served. This is not new. Right. And the Orlando Sentinel has been doing some reporting on it too, right? The Sentinel has the Sentinel has been a voice crying in the wilderness as well, for sure. And you've been on our program here at Intersection talking about the, this issue. I mean, this isn't the first time we've we've invited you to discuss homelessness, and we've we've tackled it broadly in in Central Florida at WMFE over the years as well. Absolutely. So, what do you think comes next? I mean, it does. It sounds. It just seems like a pretty bleak outlook, but. I'm sure folks like you and the other nonprofits that are you're working alongside in Osceola County, I mean, you're not giving up. So what do you do in the next month, two months after that, end of the year, and sort of six months down the road? Well, we do what we can. I mean, we, we have been able to, to help these families that are struggling at the Star Motel with a great partnership with the county. And we're very, very excited about being able to support those families. And we continue to just do the next right thing. And the right thing is to bring as much resources that we possibly can to surround the families who are struggling along the corridor. And and it does sometimes feel bleak, but also we have hope that everyone deserves to have housing that is dignified, that is safe. And so we're just going to keep trying to make that happen, one unit at a time. Just so I'm clear as well, the the program you mentioned with the county is that that's not new, right? I mean, that's something that's been around for a while. No, uh, the county actually did free up some funds, I believe, from the CARES funds to help with this particular mm-hmm. project. Um, so, very very happy about that. Well. Reverend Mary Lee Downey is the Executive Director of the Community Hope Centre in Osceola County. Mary, thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much. Still to come, there's just a few weeks to go before the 2020 census wraps up. We'll talk about the push to get an accurate count and what's riding on the census. Intersections back in a minute.
This is Intersection, I'm Matthew Petty. The census is just a couple of weeks away from wrapping up and staff from the US Census Bureau, along with leaders in Orange County, are pushing to get more people to complete it. The once every 10 year count of residents in every household is used to gauge federal funding for things like education, healthcare and food programs, and it helps determine the number of congresspeople per state. Orange County's self-response rate is currently just over 63%. Mayor Jerry Demings wants to get that rate up to 70%. Seven census kiosks have been placed in community centres around the county and census staff are also making appearances at food drives and other gatherings to help get the word out. Melvin Pittman is the Complete Count Committee Chair for Orange County. I spoke to him about the push to the finish line for the census. You know, back before the start of the pandemic, I had a chat to Mark Morial from the Urban League, and his concern at that point was that he was worried about people in the um, in the black community not completing the census. Like he was kind of concerned about that, and they'd partnered up with the Census Bureau to try and get the word out. I'm wondering, Melvin, from your point of view, are you seeing some of those concerns kind of come to fruition now that we are six months into this pandemic and a lot of the uh, the traditional outreach, like going door to door, that census takers would normally be doing, they just haven't been able to do that. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, I, you know, we would prefer to be out, you know, door to door in the field and trying to make contact with various people, in particular the ones you mentioned there that are in the hard to count areas. That's it, you know. African-American communities, uh, communities of color in general, Hispanic communities, senior citizen areas, uh, students. So those are all the kind of the groups that historically have been unaccounted in the census, and those are ones actually we've been kind of focused on. And, of course, the, since the pandemic uh, came came on us, we've had to change our strategies of how we have to, how to go out and try to reach those uh, those individuals. And it's a difficult it's a challenge, but we are, we've done the best we can. Uh done a lot of... Uh, food drives and uh, COVID test sites location. We're trying to work at those places. We're trying to go to places where we think people will be gathering based on the needs that they have in their life, and we're trying to, you know, to, to catch them at those points to to get them to complete the census questionnaires. Is this the first census that you've been involved in from the point of view of trying to facilitate it and get it done? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was in the problem in 2010 on periphery basis, I was over overseeing overall uh, one of the divisions that I had at the time while I worked with the county uh, that was doing the census. But this is the first time I've been actively involved in it to this extent. Right. So, um, and we're just a couple of weeks out from the actual official end of the census, right? And there, there has been a bit of confusion around that because the date got pushed out and then it got changed back again. Is that kind of complicating things a bit from your point of view, trying to get people to complete it if they think that maybe the time has come and gone already? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely been a it's definitely complicated our, our process. Uh, you know, we was, we've been on a different kind of time frames to get it done, <laughs> and, and you throw in the pandemic and you know, with that, so it's been very confusing. Right now, the end of September is the current time frame. That may change again. But, you know, regardless of whatever time frame we have, we've been trying to work with it and try to uh, get word out to the maximum standard possible that we can, uh, you know, give respect to whatever time frame we have. Now, obviously, more time we got would be a definite advantage for us to try to reach more more individuals. Mm-hmm. So what does the next couple of weeks look like then for the census and for the local outreach in Orange County, at least? Because this is kind of the push to the finish line, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is, and we we're kind of like an all hands on deck uh, situation now, and 
we're doing a blitz, and matter of fact, this month we did, Mayor Demis had a, a large press conference where he had met uh, men of the media when at the press conference, and uh, which is why you know to follow up on talking to you is part of that. So we're trying to use those kind of means to, to get the word out to the mass masses of people. And again, like I said, we are concentrating also like on a food drive locations. Matter of fact, one is going on today at the Kempenborough Stadium. Um, and we are also part of that as far as getting word out with the census. So those are some of the things we're trying to do in the short period of time that we have here. Thanks to everyone who can make an impact. Uh, and also COVID test sites, we're working at those locations. Park sites where people go and recreate. We're in those areas to try to get people where, where that natural would be going. So it's a short time frame, but we're, we're trying to uh, give all our resources now and using all the uh, venues that we can to, to get that message out. When you talk to your friends and colleagues, Melvin, um, is there a bit of education that you have to do as well? Like, are you always talking about the census to people to try and encourage people and kind of get them to get the word out as well? Uh, yeah, man. So I, I should, I've been living the census since May of last year. Uh, as far <laughs> as everybody I meet, uh, I'm just reminding folks uh, to do it, and also not just for them, but you know, you're trying to get connections through them to other people, you know, to pass the word along. So. We've been working a lot of the uh, the, minister, uh, the pastors in, in, in the county, uh, all kind of different groups, and we have a great number of partners that we work with in our, our committee. So we got a lot of different ways we're trying to connect with people to get word out. And we're trying to reach those folks in the community that are influencers in the community that people kind of look up to and, and kind of, you know, uh, kind of understand when they say something, they'll listen. So we're trying to work through those folks, those influencers in the community also. So. Any kind of way we can get the word out, we are trying to make that connection. What's your elevator pitch then? What do you tell people who maybe don't know about the census or have some hesitations or trepidation about it? Well, and, and, and people will have that, you know. I mean, there's a lot of challenges that you have with the census. First of all, I mean, you know, that's a general. People don't like to do a survey. A lot of folks don't. And then secondly, uh, you know, there's a mistrust in government, you know, but in the political situation that we're in now in our country, you know, that may make it even more challenging. Uh, so there's a lot of things we have to overcome. But but I tell, I try to, you know, uh, bring it down to people where things that they need, things that are going to help them. For example, all the CARES money that we're getting under the CARES Act, that money's come back to Orange County to help out for housing needs, rental systems, food distribution for our school sites, for senior citizens. So all those those money that are coming back now during this pandemic, that that touches people's lives every day. So we try, we try to tell the story of this is affecting you, and the sense is, is the job and force behind the money that comes back here to help you. So we're trying to make that connection to people everyday life, you know. And what's the what are some of the the reasons people give for not wanting to fill it out or not being able to? I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if it's just access, like. The, obviously, the pandemic has, has really made it hard to get door-to-door to people, but are there other reasons that people say they don't want to fill it in if, if you talk to them, if, if you're able to find people who haven't actually filled it in yet? Yeah, well, yeah, access is definitely one of the uh, probably one of, one of the challenges that a lot of folks face. So you can complete the service now online, or you can do it by phone, or you can do it by mail-in. And a lot of folks particularly a lot of seniors don't have access to computers, you know. So uh, so what we're trying to do is, that's what we're trying to meet those folks where they may gather 
to get information. We have census takers that are actually out going to those places to get, to get information. And the census folks, of course, have all the technology there that's input the information uh, for that person. But also, Orange County has set up kiosks at seven Orange County community centers where people can actually go there, and we have people that can assist them to fill out the census questionnaire if you don't have access to a computer. And then always, you can always call. Uh, the census number is 844-330-2020, and you can do it by phone also. So that, that is definitely one, that, one of the, the obstacles, I guess, is people having access to do it. And, of course, the, the, uh, the pandemic has made that more difficult because, number we would try to go out and do it and do it to folks. And so the census folks is actually doing that now to a certain extent, but it's not like it would be you know, under normal circumstances. So if you put, you know, to try to get access to fill it out, and you throw in all the other reasons why sometimes people may not do a census uh, form, uh, confidentiality is one they think the information is going to be used for all kind of purposes, but this, the information is, is kept strictly confidential, and it's not given out to a lot of other federal agencies for any kind of enforcement. It's not given to, to anyone. It's only given out information as far as aggregate data. I just want to make a plea to everybody. You know, this, it's so important. This is going to affect us for the next 10 years, because the census is done every 10 years. And I know everybody is very... Um, tied up, and there's a lot going on in their life now with the pandemic and a lot of other things in their, in their everyday life. But this is something that's going can help you, can help our county, can help our community. With all the great services that come with census information, uh, health care, uh, 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 child care, food nutrition programs, there's a lot of things every day that affects our lives. And it's all driven by census data. So I know people can may usually want to say discount it, but it's so important that we complete that questionnaire so we can get an accurate count of how many people living in Orange County so we can receive the resources back to our community that we that we deserve. Right. And of course Orange County is you know, it's it's a county where the people are in a lot of flux, right? I mean a lot of people move here because they're seeking opportunities. Um, tourism drives a lot of that. So I'm sure the the uh, count has changed quite a bit over the last ten years. Yes, it has. And of course we have a lot of new areas too that's in the lot of development is occurring in Orange County. You look at places like Horizon West and Lake Nona area in northwest Orange County, east side of the county. A lot of growth going on. So we gotta try to comfort all those new people that are coming into Orange County because at some point, you know, they're going to require some kind of services, whether it's fire protection, or police protection, or whatever, and in order to provide those services, you need the appropriate funding. And also, one last point is, it's just about political representation. You know, we, we could stand to gain two additional congressional seats uh, if we can do an accurate and complete count of our census. And this applies to the whole state of Florida, of course. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Orange County has got to do our part uh, in that goal. Well, Melvin Pittman, retired Orange County Department Director and Chair of the County's Complete Count Committee, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Matthew. Appreciate it. And as I mentioned in that interview, back in March I spoke with National Urban League President Mark Morial about the importance of the census to communities of colour in particular. Let's listen back to part of that interview where he talks about the impact of an undercount and the Urban League's work to publicise the census. So your focus for this visit is the census. You're really taking a close look at that. Um, why is it so important to the Urban League? The census is about money and power. It's about how important programs such as the food stamp program, the uh, Head Start program, which serves children, 
community development programs, how the federal government distributes dollars. It's based on numbers and data that come from the census. So to be fully, fully treated fairly, you've got to be fully counted, completely counted. And that's why we're talking about the census. Also, historically, uh, our constituency, African-Americans and other communities of color, have been undercounted in the census. So we're making a concerted effort that there is no undercount uh, in 2020. We want to do our part, both in holding the Census Bureau accountable to do everything it's legally and statutorily responsible for doing, as well as on our side, pushing to motivate our community to participate. Have you sort of had a look back at what the Urban League was doing for previous censuses? Like, was the, the league always we involved? involved, according to the information we have, all the way back to the 1970s, when my illustrious and esteemed uh, predecessor, the late Whitney Young, uh, was intimately involved. In fact, he used the exact same theme, Make Black Count, that we're using in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've historically been involved because our constituents deserve a fair shake of federal dollars. Our constituents deserve a fair shake of congressional seats and councilmanic seats and state legislative seats, and it's all determined based on the count in the census. Talk to me more, if you could, about why it is that you feel like communities of color, uh, whether African-American or Latino, um, stand more to lose from the census, or, or there's more likelihood of an undercount. Like, why is that? I mean, I think that the historically, the undercount has stemmed from lack of an aggressive effort by the Census Bureau to ensure that everyone was counted, a lack of information, and fear sometimes that people have in participating in a government-driven process. So that that's meant that there's been a historic uh, undercount of people of color and of people who are poor. We have an opportunity this year to reverse that. Uh, And we can reverse it because there are now four ways to participate in the census, in addition to the traditional paper form that you fill out and the traditional option of a knocker coming to your door, a door knocker coming to ask you uh, about the number of people in your dwelling. You're also now going to have an online option and a telephone option. So we're encouraging people to participate in that. But we know that broadband connectivity and access to a computer is lower in African-American communities. So uh, many communities, many cities and states have opened their libraries, opened their community centers. We have to help each other in the community, help our neighbors, help our family members, help everyone ensure that they're counted. If you don't know, ask. If you don't know, go to makeblackcount.org. Go to the Census Bureau's website. Go search for the information that you need. Thinking about the level of trust there is in government right now, how would you say that compares to 10 years ago or even like four or five years ago? That today we're in the 21st century, so we're in the age of, uh, of cyber. We're in the age of Russian interference. We're in the age of uh, uh, post-9-11. We're in a different era than we were in 20 years ago or 30 years ago. That notwithstanding, uh, I want to believe that with the right push, the right motivation, and the right messages, we can get a complete count because of the multiple ways that people can participate. Uh, And the key is for the Census Bureau to make sure it's hiring enough people and putting enough dollars in its advertising to ensure that people who may not 
participate online, actually get their door knocked. Aside from um, that, I mean, what other challenges are there to making the census a success? You've talked about the multiple ways that you can fill the census out. There is, of course, the kind of trust element that you talked about as well. Um, there's also, you know, connectivity, which you referenced as well. Even just welcoming somebody who's knocking on your door, that can be a moment of hesitation for some folks, we right? Need people understand why the census matters for them and why it matters for them, because it affects your political representation. It affects uh, your livelihood in terms of support for federal programs that benefit you and your community. That's what it's about. We think if people understand what it's about, then they'll understand why we have to participate. Now, in some messaging from the Urban League, you point out that Orange County, in fact, had one of the worst rates of undercounting as far as the census previously. So does this area of the country, is this a problem area, do you think? I think this area has a lot to gain and a lot to lose. And I think what happened in this area of the country is that uh, the undercount was significant, and it cost. I heard a figure just at noon today that the existence of the undercount means that 7,000 children can't participate in early childhood education. That's tragic. 7,000 children, 7,000 families. Not because they're not able, not because the parents don't want them to, but because the governmental system is not adequately funded. And it only comes around every 10 years, so you, you really have to get it right. Yes. The, the census and the, is, uh, that's why they call it the decennial census. You don't get it right, you're stuck with the results. Well, Mark Morial, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. That interview first aired in March this year. Support for Intersection comes from Advent Health and from our listeners. If you want to support this show and all of our local reporting, visit wmfe.org support. Become a sustainer. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your pod- or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find us online at wmfe.org intersection. I'm Matthew Petty. Follow me on Twitter at Matthew underscore Petty. And thanks for listening. 